Bozeman and Butte Podcast starts right now. Budick Show, Jake Asman, alongside Dan Budick, taking you until midnight right here on VICRadio.org. Great show in store for you. We have so much to get to. March Madness, we now know the final four teams, and we're going to break it all down tonight, break down the entire tournament, who's the favorite out of the four teams that are left, but how about that college basketball that we had this weekend? The Elite Eight, it's now in the books. And, Dan, as you know, this is where it really gets fun. Sorry, next week, you get the final four games underway in Phoenix. And then a week from tomorrow, it all unfolds. Monday night, national championship game. What two teams will be playing, we'll find out in the coming week. Yeah, and I think the tournament really got exciting in the Sweet 16. We had some thrillers. Florida with a, just a tremendous win. They lost today. Uh, to South Carolina, but we had some awesome games in the Sweet 16 and then into this weekend in the Elite Eight, and it sets up a great great two games next weekend in Phoenix to, for the right to play in the national championship game. You got two, you got four great teams, UNC, Oregon, Gonzaga, South Carolina, but honestly, UNC, this is their 20th appearance in the tournament, but Oregon hasn't been there since 1939. Gonzaga and South Carolina has have never been to the Final Four before. So th- for three of these teams, they virtually have never been to the Final Four. It's going to be a great weekend. Really exciting. And obviously the matchups, Gonzaga taking on South Carolina and Oregon and UNC. Very weird looking at the Final Four teams. You have a traditional power in UNC. You just talked about it with South Carolina and Oregon. And Gonzaga, year after year, we hear about how good they're supposed to be, and they don't get it done in the tournament. Well, if they didn't get it done this year, I don't know when they were able go, ever going to get it done because they had Xavier, an 11 seed, as their matchup in the Elite Eight. They had to get over the hump this year, and they had a dominating performance yesterday, and Mark Few's team is going to the Final Four. And for UNC today, it took every ounce in it, in them, to get that win against Kentucky. I mean, Kentucky hit that big three to tie the game, and then they come right down the court, hit that two, and virtually leave, and really left .3 seconds on the clock for Kentucky. They had no shot uh, to get a couple of points and force an overtime. So just what an exciting finish to some of these games. But you said it, Gonzaga, will this be the year that we see Gonzaga take home the national title? And even a team like South Carolina, they beat Duke, and everyone thought, wow, Duke's losing in the second round. Turns out South Carolina is the real deal. After this win over Florida, so impressive what they've been able to do this tournament. And Frank Martin has his team playing some outstanding basketball. And I remember Frank Martin when he was the coach of K-State. I think he coached Michael Beasley in college. That was when I really started following Kansas State in their program. We know how it worked out for Michael Beasley. But Frank Martin eventually leaves Kansas State. He goes to South Carolina, and he has totally turned that program around. I mean, you had South Carolina and Florida competing in an Elite Eight at Madison Square Garden with Vern Lundquist on the call. I thought he he retired from calling SEC games. Instead, the Elite Eight that he gets the call is two SEC teams. Florida's been to a national title game. They've won two of them in a row within the last 10 years. South Carolina, not used to seeing them be in this situation, obviously. They've never been here. And here they are, and Frank Martin deserves so much credit. Especially going up against a team... Uh like Florida, a team that had so much momentum going in. I mean, they hit that that shot to beat Wisconsin on Thursday night. It seemed like, is Florida this year the team of destiny? And Maybe it's South Carolina. Yeah, and they go down and, and, and a t- lose a tough one today. They just didn't play well. They couldn't hit those open looks that they were hitting throughout the rest of the tournament. And South Carolina really played a great second half to get that win. And first time... In, in program history, they're going to the Final Four. So South Carolina is in. They'll be taking on, as we just said, 
Gonzaga. Interesting matchup. That will be, of course, next week. Then you have Oregon and UNC. We touched on UNC before. Out of all the teams that are left, they're probably the overwhelming favorite. However, we've seen it. Can't count on any of these teams. I think Oregon deserves so much credit. They lost arguably their second most important player, their leading shot blocker. He goes down with a torn ACL. They lose him in the before the Pac-12 title game. And all of a sudden, people aren't picking Oregon. They fell from maybe a one seed to a three seed, and they had to earn their way to the Final Four, and look what they've been able to do. And now they have a chance to play their way into a national championship game, and I think that's going to be such a great matchup, Oregon and UNC, just with the way these two teams are playing. You mentioned the difficulties and the obstacles Oregon has had to get around just to in the Pac-12 tournament and now into the uh, NCAA tournament and then with UNC and Roy Williams and, and the job they've done this year to get back to the Final Four. 20th time, like we said, in school history there. One of the Final Four teams in this tournament. So I think it's going to set up some great games. And then, you know, I think ultimately the National Championship game is going to be very exciting. It's exciting. Year. And it's going to be in Phoenix. It's going to be in a, in a great location. Phoenix is a good basketball city. The matchups, 6.09 p.m., just looking it up here, South Carolina and Gonzaga. That will be the first game. That's next Saturday, followed by the 8.49 game. That's Oregon and UNC, all times Eastern, of course. I'm definitely more excited to watch Oregon and North Carolina, but I think that South Carolina-Gonzaga game is going to be a good matchup as well. And here's Gonzaga, 36-1. and They finally found their way into the Final Four, and they're playing a team that's never been there. So kind of two teams that are looking for their first opportunity to make a name for themselves and get to already places they've never been in school history and keep their magical run going. And I think that's also what it's about. Like we know UNC is a powerhouse in college And basketball. they were even in the game last year. <clears throat> exactly. And we know Gonzaga is too. They've been there, but they've never gotten over the hump. South Carolina, we know, they've never gotten over the hump. Oregon, they've never gotten over the hump. And when I say over the hump, I mean to the Final Four National Championship uh, caliber. Oregon's in the Final Four for the first time since the Final Four was invented. 1939. The first year of the Final Four. That is unbelievable that they haven't been to the Final Four since then. And then South Carolina and Gonzaga, never been to the Final Four. But it kind of gets lost in the shuffle with Gonzaga because you mentioned they had so much success and there's been so many teams Gonzaga's had in the last 10 years when you say, this is the year Gonzaga's going to go to the Final Four, or this is the year Gonzaga's going to win the national championship. Well, we sit here in 2017, and we have a team in Gonzaga that can really probably uh, go on and win the national championship. You're so right about it. Not your normal Final Four. Oregon. Definitely not the one we, we chalked up uh, when this tournament started oh, about you had 12 chalked, days ago. Your, your bracket's been busted, and it kind of uh, it hints at what we have coming up later on in the program. We don't care about your bracket. We'll fill you in a little bit more about that later on in the show. We're going to have a performance from Asbin and Budic show uh, confidant, a longtime friend, supporter, Absolutely. Griffin Haas. He'll give you his take. He'll play you a, a, a parody song about March Madness. So that's coming up later on in the show. We don't care about your bracket, but if we don't you did fill out a bracket, your bracket got busted because chances are you didn't have South Carolina, Gonzaga, Oregon, and UNC in your Final Four. In fact, point oh oh three percent of people who played ESPN's bracket challenge online who filled out a bracket, those are the amount of people that had a point oh oh three percent. It is absolutely impossible to predict the final four. It really is, because every year you get these upsets you don't expect it. You don't expect these upsets to happen and these teams find their way into the final four. What 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 makes me laugh every year is every year people think they have it. They have it down to a Oh, my bracket's they great. It. They have it. This is the year I'm going to have a great bracket. I'm going to win it. I'm a bracketologist. It's a great career Isn't to go Isn't it funny into. how everyone becomes a bracketologist around oh, uh, even though they don't the last week in March? Oh, absolutely. And, and, and people think that their bracket's going to win it all, and they're, they have the Sweet 16 down pat, they have the Elite Eight, and they have the Final Four. And like you said, 99.9% of the time, 
everyone's is wrong. And when we get down to the Final Four, everyone's been busted. If you happen to have South Carolina, Gonzaga, Oregon, and UNC, I want to is see there your bracket. Is that has the, this Final Four? 0.003%. Have the complete Final Four. Have all okay, four teams. I, I misunderstood. Oh, wow. 0.003% on ESPN.com. So you know, but which tells me that if you have it right, you really just threw it on threw it on a sheet of paper and hope, hoped it stuck. Or you had it in your other bracket. Or, or yeah, or those are people like, oh, the one I'm doing for money, I don't have it. But the free one I'm in, I have my final four. Uh, and I love those people. Those are my favorites. Or the old, like, oh, man, like I had that in that bracket, but not in this one. This is the one I have money on. You know, everyone's it's got like, that. Yeah. Everyone knows that friend. Everyone's got the bracket. 607-274-1842, the number to call if you want to get involved. We're opening up, obviously, with March Madness. What a win by the teams that played today. South Carolina moving on. North Carolina took down Kentucky. John Calipari, another year he could not get back to that Final Four. And he's got to do it all again next year when half his team leaves and a new freshman class comes in. Not easy being John Calipari and... Once again, he he comes up a little bit short of the Final Four. Yeah, and, you know, for a guy that's been so – he's such an accomplished coach, and everywhere he's been, and we've spoken about it so many times, UMass, Memphis, and now at Kentucky, he's taken them to championship land. He's put those programs on the map, and and not necessarily Kentucky, but Memphis and uh, UMass. We know the type of recruiter he is, the type of coach, and unfortunately they couldn't get back to the Final Four. They almost did. I mean, they hit that big shot, that three with five seconds left or whatever it was to tie the game at 73, and then UNC came right down the court. Future Nick uh, Malik Monk hit the shot. Yeah, right. Future Nick Malik Monk. Biggest difference in this matchup between, because these two teams played before. Yeah. Malik Monk had 47 points in the first matchup between between these two squads. Malik Monk today, I know he had that shot. He only had 12 points. So the scoring, North Carolina did a much better job containing him. And obviously, when you look at the Tar Heels, they're a complete team. They have so much size. They're probably the favorites heading into the Final Four. But as we've seen, it doesn't really matter. At this point, there is no such thing as chalk because anything can happen when you get to this far in the tournament. And that brings me to my next point about South Carolina. The minute I knew that they were going to win the game was when I saw their head coach, who I'm a big fan of, we just talked about him, Frank Martin, dressed up as Ron Burgundy on the sideline in his red suit. Oh, I knew it was game over. And you know what? Reed was talking about it at the end of uh, the Reed and Roberts show. I liked the look. I enjoyed his look today. They were slamming him. I thought it was great. I thought it was great. He had school pride. And you know what? They won the game. They're going to the Final Four. He, now he has to wear the suit again. Uh, he has to. And, the thing, and if they win, he's got to wear it again in the national championship and game. And if he didn't, I'd be, I'd be, if I, if he didn't wear it again and again, I'd be insulted. If I'm a Gamecock, it's fan. like your lucky underwear when the Mets were going to the World Series. Right, I didn't change it for three weeks. Right, you got to be, you have to be on point. And now that they're they're into the Final Four, Frank Martin's got to continue the trend. I I would be insulted if he wasn't wearing that suit again. I would be as well. And so Frank Martin and the South Carolina Gamecocks, they're moving on once again. If you're just joining us, the Final Four. Is now set. South Carolina and Gonzaga, Oregon and UNC are the matchups. Those games, it all begins next Saturday out in Phoenix. What we're going to do right now on the program, though, is open up the phones. Give us a call, 607-274-1842, if you want to talk about some college basketball. When we come back, we will take your phone calls. We're also going to touch on a little baseball as we're getting closer now Ten to days, opening nine day. days, right around the corner. So plenty still to do. We'll also touch on the Knicks. I hinted at Malik Monk before. We'll talk about the Knicks. And right now, fourth worst record in the NBA, 11%, a little under 11% chance of landing the first overall pick, about a third 
33% chance of landing a top three pick. So we'll find out with the Knicks. But when we come back, opening up the phone lines once again, 607-274-1842. Asman Beauty Show will be right back after these words. Unflippable, unflappable, unleakable. The Gustbuster is the only umbrella that won't flip inside out, rip, tear, or leak. Capable of withstanding winds over 55 miles per hour. All of our umbrellas are constructed of the finest quality materials and backed by a limited lifetime guarantee. What are you waiting for? Visit GusBuster.com and get your GusBuster today. You are listening to the Asman and Budic Show on VIC Radio. Tune in radio and podcast it on ICTV.org and iTunes. Interesting conversation going on off air. LeVar Ball, you can't get enough of him. Can't get enough of him. He, he will be appearing on First Take this week. And I thought at first when I heard the news, oh, he's going to go back on again. What happened last time? Him and Stephen A. screamed. ESPN's trying to get ratings, the usual. But his son will be joining him, Lonzo Ball. So that will be the first time we'll, I guess we'll really get to see them interact together. My question to Lonzo would be, do you like the fact that your father is so public and that we shouldn't even know who he is yet? Everyone... All they want to talk about is LeVar Ball, and it takes away the attention from just how good of a talent his son is, Lonzo's, because Lonzo is arguably a top two, top three pick in the draft. We're talking about his father, not even how good of a player his son is. And I think that's the big problem here. And Lonzo, I mean, there's no dispute. I mean, Lonzo Ball's skills as a point guard is among the best we've seen a college point guard have. That's how good he is. He looks like he's going to be a star in the NBA. I mean, some of the passes he makes, the feeds, he's got tremendous court vision. But you mentioned it. His father. I can't take this guy. I mean, with, with his opinions and his his brash personality, I I, I really and it's tough to it's tough to really hold it against his son because he is a tremendous talent, and I would love to have Lonzo Ball a part of my organization if I'm looking to draft. If I have a pick high in the in the top two or three in the NBA draft this year, especially a team like the Knicks who apparently but, need but a point I'll, guard. But I'll tell you what. You got to think about the fact what type of impact is his father going to have not only on his son but in the locker room. And this guy's close to the he was very close to the Bruins this year. He was around the team all the all year throughout the entire season and through the tournament. I mean, you want this guy in your locker room? Do you want this guy around your players, around your team? The answer is no. But you want your his son, you want Lonzo on your team. So what do you do if you're a GM and you're picking in the top 2 or 3? I would still take Lonzo Ball, but I'll tell you what. There's going to be a real issue. A lot of teams are going to have an issue with the way LeVar, his father, has handled himself because he is doing exactly what I think a lot of fathers try not to do, and that's make himself the spotlight and make himself the center of attention when his son is the star and should be the one we're talking about. You said it. We should have no idea who LeVar Ball is. I shouldn't know Lonzo Ball's father, but because of the fact his dad wants to be in front of the media, he wants to be kind of, I don't even know, like the ringleader of this ball basketball circus that they run over there. I don't even know what it is. He's trying to get his son a billion-dollar shoe deal. It's ridiculous. It's just you open up your mouth. And you're putting an enormous amount of like pressure on your up, son. But it also, it's like he's opened up his mouth once. Some, you know, it's once or twice. But it's every day. I have to hear about this guy for the last month and a half. There's a new story that comes out every single day about this guy. And the thing with Lonzo Ball, 
He's a phenomenal talent. He's unbelievable. But as good as he is, I mean, we got to chill a little bit because his, he's being put on a pedestal. And if he can't back up these expectations that his father is, is setting for him, then is his father going to disown him? I mean, he's going to be disappointed in him? You know, it, it, it's almost like Lonzo Ball owes it to his dad to be the greatest point guard ever. His dad has gone out and said that, his, that he thinks his kid is, is better than Steph Curry. He said that he could beat Michael Jordan one-on-one. I mean, Alonzo Ball is a great basketball player. His father is who we're talking about. That's a real problem here. And anyone that's like, oh, you know, he loves his son, that may be true. I agree with you. Huge problem. We don't want to hear that. No one wants to hear about it. You're right. We should not know who Alonzo Ball is. You know, I don't want to know who any of these guys' dads are when they haven't been proven anything in the NBA. And the team's going to take him top three because he's that good. But when you look at, you know, Alonzo Ball, the talent, it's phenomenal. But we've seen great talents not pan out in the NBA. And if he doesn't pan out, the criticism that he's going to get because of what his father has said and what he's been hyping up, not just Lonzo, but his two other sons as well, it's not fair, it's not fair to any of them. And how do you think players in the NBA are going to feel? Well, you know LeBron the, James is not happy. He, well, you know LeBron James isn't happy based on what LeVar said. But when LeVar gets dra- when Lonzo Ball gets drafted, how do you think the teammates are going to like him now that this kid, this, this 18-year-old kid, comes in and his father's going to be up in arms t- talking about this, talking about that. If he's not playing enough, if, if, if Lonzo's not playing enough early on, you know you're going to hear about it from LeVar. It's just it's a lot of things a team has to weigh in. You imagine him on the Knicks you're to pick and him. he's commenting about Phil Jackson and, oh, and running the triangle. And, that's the le- and, and listen, the Knicks would love to have a talent like Lonzo Ball. I mean, he makes their he makes them a lot better. He looks like he's going to be a star in the NBA. But you said it. The last thing the Knicks need right now is drafting a kid in the top two or three, and his father doesn't shut up. You're absolutely right. You're right. I mean, and it's, it's a terrible. real issue, and it's not going to stop. There'll be a, I, I, here right now. There'll be a bunch of other stories that come out between now and, and when this kid's drafted. It's easy to all about ta- his father. And it's easy to be talking up your son when he's dominating at the collegiate level and he's showing he is head far and away the best player in college basketball right now, arguably the best player in college basketball. But what happens when he goes to the NBA and he struggles a little bit and there's a lot of pressure on him? Is he going to be able to handle that pressure? It's going to be coming from his father. It's going to be coming from the media, wherever he's drafted. It's going to be coming from everywhere. And the last thing this kid needs as a rookie in the NBA is his father meddling him about being the best point guard in the history of the league when this kid's trying to get his feet wet as a rookie. 607-274-1842. Jackson in Ithaca start us off. Jackson, what's going on? Guys, guys, I love it. But here's what I got to tell you. As much as I agree with what you're saying, I think one of the people who's going to get the most criticisms is, you know, LeVar Ball over Lonzo Ball. And I say that because, you know, as great as Lonzo is, I think you're right. You know, you guys are talking about the pedestal you put him on. But, you know, I mean, when you have a guy like him who's so humble, it's kind of hard to, you know, you know, attack him to the extent that you might with his father which is why I start to wonder, you know, if he's maybe, you know, had talks with his dad, you know, saying, hey, dad, you know, chill here with this. You know, you're putting me on a level that I don't think I'm ready to be at yet. So I think, you know, I, 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 I think as much as I agree with what you guys are saying, it's hard for me to look at Lonzo and say I'm going to criticize him more than I would criticize his dad because his dad's the one, you know, talking this up, not him. So, I mean, you know, I – I get what you're saying, 
but I would be criticizing Lavar much more than I would be criticizing Lonzo. Well, uh, we're not criticizing Lonzo. I don't. We're not criticizing Lonzo at all, Jackson. What we're saying no, is no, 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 no. But what I'm saying is, for the people who would criticize him at the NBA level, I just don't know if that would necessarily be fair to him. Because well, of, co- of course, it's not. He but might that, not. No, you're you're right. It wouldn't be yeah. fair to him. But that's the pressure his father's putting on him. That's the you're reality right. of the situation. That's what's going to happen. Well, they're going to poke fun of Lavar Ball while making fun of Lonzo Lonzo Ball, and I don't think he's going to be a bust. I think he's going to be a very good player. But let's say he struggles early in his career. Which and he's very not playing well, well might happen. Which happens to a lot of rookies. We're going to be saying, oh, and his dad thinks this kid is better than Steph Curry. Guy can't even hit an open jump shot. You're just going to use his dad as a way to poke fun at Lonzo for not playing well or for being a yeah. bust if he turns out to be a bust. So, You're putting unnecessary pressure on your son. It's wrong. It's wrong. You should yeah. let the kid play basketball and let him enjoy himself at UCLA and not force him to have to answer questions about, oh, your dad said this. What are your comments on that? He shouldn't have to be I, answering I mean, those ja- questions. I mean, Jackson, the kid is 18 years old. He yeah. should not have to He's deal younger with younger than us. He's young, yeah, exactly. He is. He's a, he, I mean, he just completed his freshman year of college. He's going to go into the NBA now. It's a lot of pressure for an 18-year-old kid, and he's very talented. He looks like he's going to be a great player, but I have a lot of problem with his father. I really do. Yeah. I think no. I think if, if his dad is not careful, when this kid gets to the next level, there's a big jump between the NBA and college and Division One college Absolutely. at the level he played in and, and the, the – um, in the NCAA. There's a big jump. And I'm not saying Lonzo Ball is not going to be a great player. He very well might be a tremendous NBA player. But you know, and Jake kind of just said it, the moment it starts to get tough early on, you know you're going to hear it. You know it's going to amp up a little bit more because of what we've seen around LeVar. And I think for LeVar... I mean, listen, you want to talk up your son? Why don't you wait till he makes an NBA All-Star team? Why why don't you wait a little bit? That's that's the point. But here's here's what else I wanted to say. I love the music you guys opened with, but it wasn't as good as the um, ukulele I heard from the other side of campus. And, Dan, I understand that was coming from you. That's right. So I've, I've started to play the ukulele. You picked it up. I've picked it up. Dan, you're you a ukulele go. expert now. You're being heard on you the, are, the campus. Tuner, you got everything. I know. You know, I'm, I'm learning slowly but surely. <laughs> I'm learning the ukulele. Jackson, thanks for the call. We appreciate it. But uh, slowly but surely, I'm learning the ukulele. I got it on Wednesday. Uh, went to Ithaca Guitar Works, picked it up, and uh, I'm learning. I'm, it's, a, it's a long process, but it's coming along. One of the cheapest people I know, Dan Budick. That's spent right. money on a ukulele. You are listening to Jake Asman and Dan Budick right here on the Asman and Budick Show. Follow the show on Twitter with the handle at Asman Budick Show. Going on to the Knicks, uh, you, Jake, you said it uh, before we went to break. The tank continues. A loss yesterday to the Spurs. They play tomorrow. They're back in action tomorrow against the Pistons in Madison Square Garden. And, you know, this Knicks season, you know, again, spiraling downward. But I want to start off a little bit about Phil Jackson because we've spoken on the show. We know how – everyone knows how big fans we are of Phil Jackson. But what do you <laughs> think of Phil attending the tremendous, I have to say, uh, tr- uh, statue presentation of Shaquille O'Neal's statue outside the Staples Center in Los Angeles, and he was there instead of on t- instead of doing some some collegiate scouting. Now, to me, when I first heard that he was going to be there, I thought, well, if Magic Johnson's there, I don't really have a problem with it because you know Magic, great Laker, now the GM, doesn't matter. And then I found out Magic Johnson was not there and sent a video that was played to everyone in attendance explaining, hey, Shaquille, I'm sorry I couldn't make it. I'm currently scouting at Madison Square Garden, the NCAA tournament, or wherever Magic Jackson was, Magic, Magic Johnson excuse me, was scouting. But instead, 
we had Phil Jackson attend this, and his excuse to going was, well, we got Steve Mills to scout the college games yeah, at Madison Square Garden. Yeah, the real GM, the real mastermind behind the disaster. Madison Square next, Garden right? hosted the Elite Eight in the Sweet 16 this past weekend. South Carolina won two games at Madison Square Garden. The Knicks have won one game in all of March. So South Carolina won two games in two days at Madison Square Garden. The Knicks have won in the month of March just one game at Madison Square Garden. But Phil Jackson thinks, hey, I can go out to L.A. I don't need to go scout. But Magic Johnson, he's scouting. Pat Riley, say whatever you want about him. He's a scout. He's always looking for talent. He's always on the road. This goes back to what we've always said about Phil. Do you want to be the GM or do you not? We won't know because he never speaks to the media. And it always feels like Phil's just trying to cut corners and do things his way because he doesn't care. And he knows his owner said it, heck. Oh, no matter what happens, you're going to be able to survive the remaining two years of your deal. What's the motive for Phil Jackson to do anything? Well, exactly. There shouldn't be, you know, the motive should be the fact that he is the president of basketball operations for the Knicks and getting paid. How much this year is he getting paid? $12 million a $12 year. Million. That should be enough motivation for Phil Jackson to want to work and want to put the time in to make the Knicks a good team again. But it just goes to show you, he was at the great Shaquille O'Neal statue unveiling. He wasn't scouting at Madison Square Garden during the tournament because of the fact he's got better things to do. And that's the bottom line. He's always doing other things, and it's enough of Phil Jackson already. It really is is and it's another just another thing you could put on the chalkboard of Phil Jackson coming off wrong to New York Knicks fans, not coming off as a hard worker to the city of New York and to the people that pay a lot of money to see the Knicks put a good team on the court. It's just a shame. Here's the other thing. I don't really care if he's there or not, but it's it's not a good look when but, the team is this bad. Well, especially because it's it's not like the you're right. It's not like the team's a six a 55 win team and he's not there, or the team's going in, in a noticeable unnoticeably right direction and he's not there. He should there should be more pressure. He should feel more pressure because he's done nothing in his three and a half years here. This is only a story because he hasn't talked to the press. So anytime and the Knicks they're gonna... have been bad ever since he's been here. Yeah, but you know what? They have a right to criticize him because he's been he's been terrible. We've criticized Phil Jackson a ton on this show, and I think, you know what, I think he should be scouting. I think he should at least make it seem like, even if he's doing nothing and he's just pocketing the $12 million a year, which is what it feels like as a Nick fan, at least make it seem like you care. He just doesn't care. And it doesn't seem like he does. He doesn't talk to anyone. You don't know what he's thinking. The Knicks are having a horrible year after we were promised a playoff team. They brought in Derrick Rose. They brought in Joakim Noah, who word came out yesterday, is now going to be suspended for the first 20 games of next season. That's the first good thing Joakim Noah has ever done for the Knicks, missing the first 20 games of next season. <laughs> Again, the Knicks just continue to be a disaster, and this season has just—I mean, this season, one of the weirdest seasons in Knicks history. And really. now it's the second time in three years we're sitting here hoping that the Knicks lose just so they can get a better draft pick. It worked last time, I get it, with Porzingis, but they were planning on blowing it up. Once Melo got hurt and they traded Jr. and Iman, you knew it was a tank. This team was supposed to be good. We were sold that well, we hey, best-case scenario, team. Eastern Conference Finals, folks. We were sold at the minimum this team was going to be a playoff team. Not only are they not going to be a playoff team, but if the season ended today, the Knicks have the fourth-worst record in the National Basketball Association. They have a 33.7% chance at landing a top-three pick, and more importantly, a 10.7% chance at landing a first pick. The first pick overall, which begs the question, if you're Phil Jackson and you're the Knicks— and you have that top three pick, what's your priority? Who are you taking? Well, Phil better, Phil better get this one right. He got Porzingis right. 
has to nail this one. Otherwise, the Knicks are really screwed. Well, yeah, and the Knicks aren't in a much better situation than they were two years ago. The only thing they have to hold their hat on is the fact that they have Chris Stapp's Porzingis. But besides that, what are the Knicks? What has Phil Jackson brought here to the city of New York? And, you know, it, it it's tough. We keep shining the light on Phil, but, you know, he he created this. He This is his team. You know, he is the general manager and and – you know, I know by term, but he's the president of basketball operations for the Knicks. It's on him. And you're right. We were sold a playoff team this year. We were told, you know what, guys? We're going to have a team to compete in the East. We're going to have a team that at worst is going to be a seventh or eighth seed and give us some exciting moments this year in 2017, 2016, 2017 for the Knicks. And it has been a disaster. And the blame, and we said it at the beginning of the season, if everything goes great, Phil's going to look like a genius. But if it doesn't, Phil's going to get criticized and ripped apart like he has the last two years. And guess what? That's what happened. Looking at the remaining Knicks schedule, they just wrapped up their four-game road trip. And as expected, they lost all four games on the road trip. You said it before. Home against the Pistons, home against the Heat, then at the Heat, Celtics, Bulls, Wizards, Grizzlies, Raptors, 76ers. I see maybe one more win for this Knicks team this season. That's how bad they are at this point. They're resting Carmelo and... By resting, they say he has some sort of knee injury. It's bogus. Carmelo's taking it easy, and they shouldn't play him. It should be all about losing at this point. This team is so bad, we're at a point where you root against them. You hope they can find a way to get lucky in the lottery, get a top three pick. Who knows? Get the first overall pick, and somehow, some way, the Knicks cannot screw it up. Who do I want with the first overall pick? Not sure. Could be Lonzo Ball. Could be Fox from Kentucky. I think his draft stock has really risen. Obviously, the the best player in the draft might be the player from Washington. Right. But they didn't even make the tournament, so no one really knows much about him. They played. He played for Washington, for God's sakes. There's going to be a lot of good players in this draft, though. That's the one thing that the Knicks have going for them. This draft is deep, and even if they finish with the fourth pick, I'm not going to freak out like I did last time because, hey, they got Porzingis with the fourth pick last time, but... Just so disappointing that this is now the second time in three years we're sitting here hoping our basketball team loses games so they can get a better draft pick. It just feels dirty doing it, but that's the NBA for you, folks. And it feels dirty because of the fact that this is becoming a regular occurrence here with the Knicks over the last couple of years. It's, well, are we going to finish last, or are we going to finish with the worst record possible and get the high, the better percentage of getting a top three pick and that first overall pick? I mean, you don't want to be in this position as a fan. Come on. You want to be winning. You, you know, on March 26th, you want to be saying, you know, you want to be looking forward to the playoffs. You want to be looking forward to what, you know, April and June and April, May and June have in store for a team. And I know, you know, we look at the NBA and there's only two teams that are going to appear in the finals this year. And it's going to be the Golden State Warriors and the Cleveland Cavaliers. But at the same time, and we've you, known that from you, since uh, you September. You want to have something to hang your hat on if you're a Knicks fan. And it's a joke that Phil Jackson it just continues, and, and I use the statue, the, the, the ceremony with Shaq's statue as kind of like an example that Phil just continues to show that his priority, his number one priority, I should say, is not the Knicks. Well, and I what, have a problem with that. As long as Phil Jackson is Phil Jackson, he's clearly going to be here for the final two years of his contract, which is asinine because if it was anyone else, he'd be fired a long he time He would have been oh, fired at the end of last year. This I is, mean, we're going on to three years of this, and the Knicks have been bad. More bad and awful. There's been no good in Phil Jackson's tenure And now, and now we're going to see him here. rehauling the roster for the second time. Two years ago, he he stripped apart the roster and we saw a new – like how many times is Phil Jackson throughout the course of this five-year deal going to get a chance to redo the Knicks? I mean, come on. We, we, we bought it once. We bought it twice. But we're on a third time already, Phil. And it's enough already. He's going to redo the Knicks because he has no choice. Well, well no, but I'm just saying it shouldn't be him now to – in my opinion – 
going forward. No, we've it seen enough from him. Phil Jackson where if his name was not Phil Jackson, he would not be the GM but of the Knicks you, anymore. Like it just it frustrates me because it go, it starts from the top and it starts from the the worst owner in sports, James Dolan. Because He's James the worst Dolan owner in wants sports. to spite his own fan base by being like, "Well, you guys said you didn't want me to meddle. I'm not going to meddle. I'm going to let Phil handle this." And when he was on with Michael K, Michael K asked him. I think it was actually Don LeGrecker who asked the question. You know, what do you say to your fans that are so disappointed with this Knicks season? James Dolan's response: Ask Phil. Ask Phil. Phil won't talk to anyone. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to criticize Phil Jackson. We're going to criticize you, James Dolan, because there's two passionate Nick fans, and I speak, I think, for all Nick fans when I say this. We deserve better than this garbage. It's enough of the losing basketball. The Knicks have had one good year since the year 2000, the it's, year they won 54 games. And that was already four years ago. It's a joke. And you know what? The Knicks fans are some of those passionate fans in sports. They really are. They go to the they go to the Garden every single night. That place is sold out. If they were in and any, the tickets are still so the, expensive, are still so expensive. If they were playing anywhere else in any other state, no one would go to the games. They would they would they wouldn't get anyone in the door. But because they play in New York, because they're the Knicks, because they play at the Garden, it's a sell for people to come into the building. And Dolan's making all this money from everyone coming to the Garden and all the beautiful renovations that were done and the skyrocketed price of admission and the skyrocketed uh, refreshments, which is a joke. And he could charge whatever he wants for that. But the product on the court stinks. And that's the problem here with the Knicks. It's been too long of the product on the court not being the number one priority. Well, it's about time that the product on the court becomes a priority for James Nolan because, you know what? It's a shame. He gets the easy way out because fans go to the Garden no matter what. The Knicks are still the most valuable franchise in the NBA. And until it affects... Despite their owner. Until the Knicks being bad affects the bottom line, James Nolan doesn't care. Well, that's what I'm saying. And that's what's sad. Well, that's what brings me to my next point. Knicks fans don't show up. Don't go to the garden. Don't pay for the tickets. Don't pay for the price of admission. If you don't like what's going on in the front office and on the court, don't go. Don't go. Protest. go. Don't go because that might be the only way to get Phil out of here and to get someone that, that can, can really take the Knicks to the next level or to not to the next level, to a level. It might be that it might be that might be what needs to happen because until that happens, I'll tell you what. And we were reassured on the Michael K show about six weeks ago, seven weeks ago about it. There's no way Phil Jackson is getting fired, and that is a mistake right there by James Dolan. But you said it, James Dolan, when he was asked, "What, what, 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 what do you tell the Knicks fans?" Ask Phil. It's a joke. I'd love it's to ask joke. him, but he doesn't answer. He doesn't answer any questions. Instead, he's at Shaquille O'Neal's uh, statue unveiling, and he's not at Madison Square Garden scouting out the Elite Eight and the Sweet 16. Would be nice. It would be nice. And the, the thing with the Knicks, we'll cover this right now before we go to break. You know, if Phil Jackson is going to be the GM, then what do they have to do this offseason? We know Derrick Rose is likely gone. They have his cap room. They're not getting a great free agent to come here. You still have Carmelo Anthony and his no-trade clause on your roster. How does that situation unfold? What happens with Joakim Noah now and his terrible contract? Are they just stuck with him? Can they cut him? Can they, God forbid, trade him? What do you do with him? And obviously, that pick that we were just discussing before, who are the Knicks going to take if they get a top three pick or a top four pick again like they did two years ago? they got to answer these questions, and we all know Phil's probably not the right guy to be able to answer them, yet he's going to be the one that's making those decisions. And what is he going to do in free agency? How are the Knicks going to approve? Because... They'll have a top pick, and, and we'll see what they do there. That'll be uh, some fresh blood onto the roster. But what's he going to do in free agency? How's he going to fill out the rest of this team? When you mention you got Mello, you can't move him. It, well, 
it doesn't look like you'll be able to move Carmelo Anthony. I will maybe. say that maybe the only good part maybe. about this Knicks season is Melo, I think, has just had enough. He's had enough. Maybe he's willing to finally say, you know what, I'll waive the no trade, and he goes to the play for the Clippers or someone that trades but for him. But the thing is, even it's, it's got to be, be a deal where the Knicks are getting back enough. How much is Carmelo really worth at this point, though? He's now, fair or not, he's but now been a part of a Knicks for team. Nothing? No, but I think it maybe at this point is more of an addition by subtraction. You get Melo out of here, and you go full rebuild in the sense that you don't longer have an aging superstar on your roster. It's all about Porzingis and Herman Gomez and whoever else you're going to draft with that top pick this year in June. I Yeah, it's just it's so disappointing. I don't want to just Mello. get a second-round pick well, that, for Melo. Well, well, the real issue is that they have wasted, arguably, their top five player in their franchise. When you look at Melo's career— He'll go down as a top five Nick of all time. He has the numbers. Look at what he's been able to do. He's been an all-star every year he's been with the Knicks. Carmelo Anthony's been a great player. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame someday. The Knicks have wasted his prime, and it's a real shame. No, they have. I'm just thinking as far as trading him is concerned, it's just so tough to find it, the right part. You're not maybe getting in the equal value anymore. But maybe in the offseason you could find a trade value. So, so basically, looking at next year's roster, you look at Przingis, he'll be there. You look at Noah. Minus the first 20 games because of the suspension and his garbage contract, he'll be there. And Mello, as of right now, will be there. Outside of that, where are you filling out? How are you filling out the rest of this roster? And they'll have the first-round pick they have on well, the Well, Steph roster. Curry is a free agent. Right. So I'm, that's, sure, he, that's I'm where, sure he's headed east. Phil's got the rings. Oh, right. Phil's got the rings. Meanwhile, he couldn't get Greg Monroe two years ago to sign with the Knicks. He couldn't get a meeting with Kevin Durant. And it was in the Hamptons. Kevin Durant, that's my favorite thing about the whole Durant saga. All we heard was, well, you know, maybe the Knicks will be able to get a meeting now that I have Derrick Rose. But Kevin Durant met with teams in the Hamptons, and they couldn't even get a meeting. I mean, the Knicks are just the Knicks are such a disgrace, man. It really is so no, upsetting. No, it, it is, and it shouldn't be Phil Jackson now making these moves. And I just want to know what's going through his head, because it really frustrates me that he makes himself so unavailable to the media. If you look at New York sports, the successful general managers— in this town, are all open to the media. They are. And they have an open dialogue with the media. And they have an open dialogue with the media. Brian Cashman, for years. For years. Sandy Alderson, open with the media. Jerry, Jerry Reese. Reese, open with the media. Even Mike McCagnan, who's a little dry, he's relatively open with the media. How come we can't even hear from Phil? What makes him so great, besides his rings, that we can't hear from Phil Jackson ever? Ever. And the, the thing about Phil Jackson's rings, he won them as a coach, and he won two of them as a player. And I'm not, And when they hired him, I agree with the move. So I don't want people to no, say, so well, you I, liked it at the time. At the time, it made a lot of sense. I was all for it. But we have now seen enough to go, you know what? This has not worked. It just didn't work it's time out. for it's a change. And to just keep him solely because the owner doesn't want to meddle and get involved so he could be like, I told you so to these fans that criticized him for getting involved in the past, it's wrong. It's petty. And that's where we are right now with the Knicks. It's like the Knicks fans versus James Dolan. We all want the like we all want the same thing. We all want to see the Knicks good again. And every time I hear from James Dolan, I feel like his priority is not the Knicks being a good team. I feel like he doesn't want it enough. Even listening to 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 him on with Michael Kay and Donald Record, it just doesn't feel like he has the fire to 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 make this a priority and and his number one priority is not putting making the Knicks a, a a playoff team. We've seen this for a number of years now and when it, when the Knicks were good and when the Knicks had that great season and went to the playoffs, went to the second round. What did he do? It fell apart shortly after. They got Grunwald out of there. They brought in Mills. It's been a nightmare. I'll wrap up the Knicks talk with this, Dan. I'll say it before I said it before, I'll say it again. Wins at Madison Square Garden in the month of March. South Carolina 2. 
the New York Knicks won. The Gamecocks are going to the Final Four. The Knicks are hoping they lose games so they can maybe get a lottery pick. I feel bad for Jeff Hornacek. I do too, but I feel like part of the issue with Jeff Hornacek is that Phil Jackson's always over his shoulder. You're the right. players don't respect Hornacek because they know Phil's really the one that's calling the shots. And if Phil really wants to call the shots, he should be on the sideline. Jeff Hornacek on, on should the, not on, be fired. On the court side. It, it, I don't think he will be. I don't think that Phil's going to fire yet another coach. But I'll tell you what, if I'm James Dolan, if Phil goes to me and says, I want to fire Jeff Hornacek, James Dolan needs to man up and say, Phil, you, if you fire Jeff Hornacek, you're going to be the coach. You're not hiring another coach. He shouldn't get the right to he, hire another coach. You either coach the team yourself or you're keeping Jeff Hornacek because this is your mess and I'm not paying another coach. They're still paying Fisher and they're still paying uh, a lot of money for Kurt Rambis to be an assistant. I mean, come on. Uh, what are we doing here? Can't fire another coach. You're right. And how? And, and we saw what a disaster Derek, Derek Fisher was as a head coach for the Knicks. Do you want to be paying two other head coaches and a new coach? Can't happen. No, you're right, and that's that's true too from a financial standpoint. I don't think that I agree with you. They're not going to fire Hornacek. I don't see that being a situation. Nor should I, do I think Jeff Hornacek deserves to be fired. I think he's been dealt a very poor hand here by Phil Jackson. The Asman Budic Show is brought to you by Gus Busters Umbrellas and Wings Over Ithaca. Now let's get back to the show with Jake Asman and Dan Budic. Transitioning now to some football talk, the Jets signed their quarterback, and he has a bonus in his contract that says if he wins the Super Bowl, he gets a $5 million raise. That, of course, is not Tom Brady. That is Josh McCown, and he is now a member of the New York Jets. And I think the McCown signing uh, could not be much of a surprise for a lot of Jets fans and a lot of NFL fans, too. I mean, it was kind of the perfect quarterback the Jets were kind of looking for, a veteran quarterback that could maybe young, uh, mentor Hackenberg and Petty and if the Jets bring in someone else via the draft next month. But you can't be that surprised with the McCown signing. That that was the market the Jets were in as far as quarterbacks were concerned. And I'm much relieved. I'd much rather have Josh McCown than, say, if they went out and brought in, dare I say it, Jay Cutler. That would have been a disaster if Cutler came to New York. I think McCown's a lot easier for the Jet fans to deal with. What the McCown signing symbols, I think, to everyone that follows the Jets is that they are no longer viewing 2017 as a team that needs to go to the playoffs or bust. That's what it means. The Jets don't view themselves as as a playoff team. We knew this going in. We knew this when they made all these cuts. We knew this when they released Brandon Marshall. They're not going for it in 2017, nor should they. They were 5-11 the previous year. They need a full rebuild. And the McCown signing symbols that 2017 is going to be about finding out what they have in Christian Hackenberg and, of course, Bryce Petty. Now, Josh McCown, maybe he will start week one, but what I think needs to happen is that you have an open competition in training camp with McCown, Christian Hackenberg, and Bryce Petty. Play whoever earns the job, and if it is McCown, you know the leash is going to be really short, A, because he's not very good, and B, because he stinks. So the thing with Josh McCown is if he is the starting quarterback, he'll probably get hurt, he probably will not play well, and we're going to get a chance to see Hackenberg or Petty in 2017. And we need to find out what the Jets have in those two quarterbacks because here's the worst-case scenario. They all stink, and you know what? You're 2-14, and 3-13, and, uh, you know, and, and you're taking a quarterback at the top of the first round of the 2018 draft anyway when the quarterback class is much better. So McCown symbols to me that the Jets don't view themselves as a serious contender, obviously. But more importantly, we're going to get a chance to see these young quarterbacks they have on the roster play and find out, hey, do we have a franchise quarterback on our roster or not? Because if we don't, it's time to start looking at 2018. And I think the thing with McCown is also if you start Petty or Hackenberg uh, week one, you know if things go bad, you could go to a, a veteran. 
who's been, who you know, not necessarily had great success in the NFL, but he's been around a while and he's had some success in the National Football League. Now, going on to next month's draft, number six overall pick, the Jets are in possession as in possession of as of right now. Will they draft? Trubisky, or will they draft Watson? Will they go quarterback in next month's draft and add to that quarterback competition and make it a four-man thing and then maybe look to trade uh, a petty at some point? Now, the real issue for the Jets is if they do decide to take a quarterback at six, Petty's obviously a goner. But then you have Hackenberg, a quarterback that you were to invest the sixth overall pick in, and McCown. McCown, at that point, is your spot starter. He's going to be your mentor, the backup, the whole thing. What does that say about Christian Hackenberg? If they take a quarterback that high, it means what we all think. He's not very good. That's why he didn't play at all as a rookie, despite the fact that they took him in the second round. It means they're making a mistake and they're owning up to it if they take a quarterback that high. I don't care what Mike McCaggan says. And he said this week when asked about it, well, we're going to take the best player available. And if we like a guy that happens to be a quarterback, we don't mind taking him. Everything's different when you talk about taking a quarterback. And I know that the Jets took Leonard Williams when they had a surplus of good defensive linemen on the team. You can't compare a defensive lineman to a, the quarterback position. It's totally different. If they draft the quarterback, they're giving up on Hackenberg. And in all likelihood, that means they're giving up on Petty. They'd probably cut him. I don't think they're going to take a quarterback at number six, though. I, I think unless they absolutely fall in love with a guy, don't just reach for a quarterback. And I think signing Josh McCown indicates to me... They're going to ride it out with Petty and Hackenberg this year, and if they stink, the quarterback class in 2018 with Sam Darnold of USC, Josh Rosen of UCLA, and a couple other guys that are very high on people's list, those are the guys that are going to be available for the Jets to take and find that franchise guy. And it kind of also points into a direction that, listen, the Jets aren't going to be that good this year. They're probably going to be picking in the top 10, if I had to guess, next season, so they have a chance to pick one of those quarterbacks. The only thing I will say is, is though, we have seen the Jets in the past take a quarterback in the first round. They fall in love with a guy. I know it's a different regime here, but it's still Woody Johnson. And I don't know. I wouldn't put it past the Jets to pick a quarterback with the sixth overall pick. I know that kind of you know puts four quarterbacks in the circle and they got to get rid of one. And it probably gives up on Christian Hackenberg. But I still wouldn't put it past the Jets to take a quarterback at six. I don't mind if they do it. I wouldn't be shocked. But they have to love the guy. And obviously, well, of course. if I you're mean, taking him, you got to love him. You don't just take a quarterback because you have a hole. And I think that's why they signed McCown. Now that they at least have a guy, he's not very good, but he's serviceable. He's a veteran. He has experience. He could play. He has starting experience. Bryce Petty's got three career starts or four career starts. Hackenberg dressed for one game last year. So they needed to add some sort of veteran to that position group. I mean, these guys got to learn how to take uh, notes at meetings, how to prepare properly. That's what McCown can teach you. He's played in the NFL for 15 seasons. The real question is, if they do love a guy at six and you're the New York Jets, are they going to take him? Or are they going to say, you know what, we'll wait a year. But if you're Mike McCaggan... Can you afford to wait a year? Is your job guaranteed if the Jets go 2-14 and 14 next season? Well, that's the thing. It's a very tricky situation. If they love Trubisky, if they love Watson, they might be inclined to pull the trigger at number 6 and, and take him. I I thought they were going to – whether they were going to draft a quarterback or not, I wasn't sure. But I, I knew they would add a veteran quarterback at some point. Uh, somewhere, whether it be, you know, made a trade or free agency when the when – when the, Options started to narrow down, and they brought him account. I wasn't shocked. They needed to add a quarterback uh, at, with some sort of leadership, some sort of veteran to the group because of the inexperience with both Petty and Hackenberg. But I think it's going to be interesting whether the the Jets like a guy at six. You know, Watson's a sexy pick. You know, Trubisky's a sexy pick. They look like they're going to be good players. Is Mike McCagden saying, 
I don't know if I'm guaranteed to be here next year. I want to pick the quarterback now. We don't know if the same regime is going to be in place in next April when the Jets are picking again in the first round. So it's really an interesting conversation, and I don't know what the Jets are going to do with quarterback. But one thing is for sure, they're going into this season with not high expectations of winning. Signing Josh McCown shows that, and I think unless they draft a quarterback, you're going to see all three guys at some point start this season for the Jets. I really believe that. And here's the thing with our with our show when we talk about quarterbacks. We don't lie to you. I can't sit here and say I know about Mitch Trubisky. No, I, I have no I can't idea. sit here and say I know that much about Deshaun, uh, Deshaun Watson. I watched him in college. I watched him play great in the national title game. But we don't want to be a radio show that tells you everything you need to know about these quarterbacks because we just don't know. Guys in the NFL simply don't know. Dak Prescott would not have been a fourth-round pick if people thought that he'd be able to do what he did in his rookie year with the Cowboys. Drafting a quarterback is such an inexact science. So the idea that we could sit here and say, well, it's not a good quarterback class and the Jets should just wait, I don't know that. That's what people say. But if the Jets love a guy at six, I'm not going to be upset if they draft him because they have to hit on the quarterback at some point. they got to find the quarterback. It's what we always say. If you're a Jet fan, all we've been screaming about since day one is we need to find a true franchise quarterback. So you draft one until you find it. And if they love the guy at, at number six, if it's Trubisky, if it's Watson, if, if it's Deshaun Kaiser, draft him. But make sure you hit it right because if you get that quarterback position wrong, we saw this with Geno, we saw this with Mark Sanchez, all the GMs that make the quarterback selections and miss, they don't last very long. And Mike McCaggan, if he swings and misses with the sixth overall pick after he would be admitting that he failed on Hackenberg and Petty, what does that mean going forward for his job status? He'll be out of a job in a year if that's the case. And I think it's less admitting to the to – the, uh to the lack of, of play of Petty, more so Hackenberg. Hackenberg was a second-round pick a year ago. You know, you draft a guy in the second round, in my opinion, the way I always thought, if you draft a quarterback in the second round, you think that he is capable of playing sometime soon. We obviously saw the Jets and were in no position and felt in no way comfortable putting Christian Hackenberg in last year in any sort of situation for the Jets. That showed us he wasn't ready to play. I think with Petty, he was taken a couple years ago in the fourth round. I don't know how much they banked on Bryce Petty working out. I think they saw him more of a project quarterback, but you're right. If they pick a quarterback, I think it it admits that they made a mistake with Hackenberg in the second round last year. That was such a reach. Some people said Hackenberg would still be available in the fifth or sixth round. The Jets took him all the way in the second round. I mean, it was was a big reach, and the fact that we didn't even see him last year, I think that's a little telling about his ability. That's why I just wouldn't be shocked if the Jets go and draft a quarterback in the sixth pick. We will never know what the Jets are thinking with Christian Hackenberg until we see him play. They hit him last year. They didn't feel comfortable even putting him out there for a meaningless Week 17 game. He wasn't even suited up but once. I mean, what does that tell They'd you They'd rather about have Ryan Fitzpatrick go out there the final game of the season against the Buffalo Bills at home than put Christian Hackenberg in there for some game experience. What does that show you about Christian Hackenberg's development as a quarterback? If they felt any way re- any if they felt he was any way ready to come into a game, anywhere near ready, they would have played him. The fact that he didn't play at all last year, I think, tells you that the Jets thought he was in no way capable of stepping into a starting position or a position at quarterback in the NFL and play well. And that, that that's troubling to me because they took him in the second round. And it's not t- like he's a six-round pick. Dak Prescott, fourth-round pick. You know, Russell Wilson, a third-round pick. All these guys played right away. Christian Hackenberg taken in the second round did not play. I mean, the Jets have taken two quarterbacks in the second round since 2013. One's Geno Smith and one's Christian Hackenberg. Both guys, I mean, we haven't seen all of Hackenberg, but Geno Smith didn't pan out But don't worry, Geno Smith is now on the Giants. He's not moving far.
The Asmin and Budic Show is presented by Wings Over Ithaca and Gus Buster Umbrellas. For those who weren't maybe listening to the show at the top of the hour, top of last hour, we talked about how you, Dan, decided to buy a ukulele. I did. You purchased a ukulele. You're not known to be a big spender, <laughs> but for whatever reason, you decided to buy a ukulele. First, before we play the parody song that was used with your ukulele. Let's talk about why you decided to buy a ukulele in the first place. Well, I said earlier in the show, and, and those of you who are listening, I bought a ukulele. I decided to, to, to invest in an instrument. I wanted to learn how to play. Um, I'm eager to learn. And one of my good friends from, from uh, back in Syosset, Mike Morano, uh, he's called up to the show a couple times. He, he is buying – he bought a guitar. And he wanted to learn guitar, and I said, you know, I always wanted to learn how to play the ukulele. It's kind of it looks cool. It would be cool if I learned to play. And he's like, you should get one. And you know what? I thought about it, and I decided to go out to Ithaca Guitar Works the next morning, and I bought a ukulele. So you bought a ukulele, I believe, it was fifty five dollars was the it cost. Was, yeah, something like that. Fifty five dollars. Fifty five dollars. Fifty five dollars of your hard earned cash. You put it towards the ukulele. That's you right. started playing, and you promised before we play the parody song, you promised that by our last show in May, you'll play a song on the air with the ukulele. I will. I I my that's, I set a goal. That's a goal I'm I'm setting out. That by May, our last show here on the VIC Radio Airwaves, I will be playing my ukulele on air. So you have it here, folks. Dan will be playing a song on the ukulele. More importantly, though, we were sitting in the apartment this afternoon and we were discussing how we don't really care who you have in your bracket. We're all poking at it like, oh, I got this team in my final four, or oh, I had them in my other bracket. Everyone knows that guy. All your friends. They come up to you. We they hate tell that you about guy. your bracket. We hate that guy. That's, we'll say it for you. We don't care. Your friends don't care when you tell them who you have in the second round. We don't want to hear it. The East Region. No one really cares. Everyone's got their own bracket. Everyone's doing their own thing. We don't really want to hear it. You're absolutely right. So we thought, what better way to explain that by coming up with a great song performed by a friend of ours and a, a friend of the show, Griffin Haas. He took your ukulele. He did. He went to the studio. And he made this award-winning production. Here it is, the debut of the song, We Don't Care About Your Bracket. Griffin, take it away. Well, you told me your picks without me asking. I might as well put me in my casket. I do not care at all who you got in the big ball. No, don't tell me you've got Troy upsetting Duke. That crap really makes me want to puke. Don't tell me about Oregon. Now it's time to get gone If you really want to make me snore Tell me about your final four No, I don't care I really don't care I really don't care I, I, I don't care Folks, we do not care We don't care who you had in any of your and any of your upsets, we just don't care. Don't tell me you had that upset in your other bracket. We still don't care. Watch the tournament and stop telling us about your bracket. We don't care. There you have it. We don't care. Griffin Haas. Griffin Haas. It was a tremendous recording, and uh, hopefully we'll have some some more in store with Griffin on the guitar. Now, he played your ukulele. He did. Griffin did not know how to play ukulele. He knew how to play guitar and was still able to put that together. It's uh, unbelievable, and and really, it came out great. Will you be able to get to his level at some point? The goal is one day, hopefully by May, our last show, I will be able to play the ukulele. Now, what a performance by him, but it's so true. We don't care about your bracket. We don't care. Who'd you have in your final four? Don't answer. I don't don't care. care. I'm not going to say it. I don't care. We don't care who anyone had in their final four. All we know is the final Final Four is next Saturday.
It is. And, and it's set. And we there's four teams that are in the final four. four. We learned teams, that tonight. And there's a good chance you didn't have them all in your final four. If you had one of them, I don't need to hear, well, I had UNC in my other bracket. We don't, we don't, we don't care. We don't care. We don't care what you had in a bracket that you played for free. The bracket you paid for money, you didn't have it. We don't care about your bracket. So we'll end it on that. The final four has been set. Thank you to Griffin Haas for that incredible piece of production. He's a, he's a legend. I mean, not everyone could just go into the studio and start ripping tunes on the ukulele. Maybe one day you'll be at that level. Maybe one day. And that's that's the goal. By our last show, I will come in and play the ukulele here in the beautiful VIC studio. He's Dan Budick. I'm Jake Asman. This has been the Asman and Budick Show. We'll be back next week here in the Frozen Tundra. Up next, more great music here on VIC Radio. Thanks for listening to the Asman and Budick Show. To keep up with the guys, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter with the handle at Asman Budick Show.